This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, March 24th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. During this pandemic, states suspended rules that prevented doctors from treating patients virtually across state lines. Now with the pandemic hopefully nearing its end, states like Arizona and Idaho are hoping to make those changes permanent. And with the entry of major new players in the field like Amazon, telehealth may be poised for rapid expansion. Cato's Jeff Singer discusses how it might look going forward. Jeff, before the pandemic really took hold in the United States, what was the state of telehealth in terms of its deployment uh, and uh, regulation at the state and federal level? Well, telehealth was actually uh, the technology was has been here for quite a long time, and but it was underused. Um, we've had the means of uh, conveying using telehealth vital signs, uh, oxygenation. We could upload lab reports, and of course, we could visualize things by telehealth. Um, but it, it had been underutilized. Insurance companies would pay for some telehealth. Medicare would pay for some telehealth. The main obstacle was, and still remains, the uh, state based obstacles of licenses requirement. So for example, uh, I'm most everywhere in the United States, a, a healthcare practitioner is only allow, allowed to provide telehealth services to people in the state in which they hold the license. So in my own state of Arizona, where I practice, I could provide telehealth services, but I can't provide telehealth services to anyone outside of my state and vice versa. Uh, during the pandemic, the governors, I think of every state, suspended that for the course of the pandemic so that uh, because people were confined to their homes, couldn't get to doctors, doctor's offices as well, where many of them are closed. So uh, they made it uh, possible for patients uh, to get telehealth services from providers in any of the 50 states and District of Columbia. But that's all scheduled to expire once the emergency ends. So uh, help me understand this because I recall uh, during the pandemic a little less than a year ago, I did a telehealth call uh, with a physician on my son's behalf, and it seemed to go very well. Um, And you're saying that based on the the regulatory changes instituted at the state level, uh, that doctor could have been anywhere in the U.S. That's correct. At least during the course of the pandemic, that's allowed. Uh, Now, once the, pand- the the emergency ends, all of these emergency orders by most, in most cases, the governors of the states uh, come to an end. So then we're back to those barriers being in place. But I don't think, uh, I think the genie's out of the bottle now. Both practitioners and patients have suddenly been made aware because of this, of all the things that can be done by telehealth and the convenience of telehealth. So uh, just like for example, we've all gotten much more accustomed to doing a lot of work remotely using, you know, uh, remote video technology like Zoom or, or others. And we're not going to go completely back to the way it was before either. I think the same thing is is begging to occur in healthcare. Unfortunately, we got these license obstacles in that are in place, and they've actually stunted the development of telehealth because a lot of the technologies that we've been using in telehealth this last year. They're not new. They've been around a long time. They've just been under underutilized and underrecognized. So um, obviously, we've had a pandemic, and that has that changed a lot of things. As you note, that a, a lot of states, if not all of them, have uh, loosened regulations uh, regarding the ability of doctors to practice, in a sense, uh, in your home 
that is uh, virtually. So what does it mean for uh, big companies like Amazon to try to step into this space and try to expand offerings in that area? Well, I, I think that's that it's a great thing that's that's going to happen because they have obviously the logistics, not just Amazon, GoodRx, which has basically made a name for itself, providing uh, access to less expensive uh, prescription drugs, has now gotten into the telehealth uh, space and they're they're offering telehealth services. There are many many uh, uh, tech companies that are getting into the business of offering telehealth. Of course, until state licensing laws are re- uh, are reformed or removed, they're going to still be limited by what services they could offer to residents in different states. So, and, and the same thing, by the way, occurs on, on the federal level with respect to Medicare. Um, the Medicare uh, CMS, which controls Medicare, uh, said that they're going to pay for telehealth services provided by healthcare practitioners, regardless of the state that they're licensed in. Well, that that's good as far as it goes, because the telehealth care the healthcare practitioners can't provide telehealth services across state lines unless they go and get licensed in that state once the pandemic ends. So it sounds good on paper, but in reality, it's not until the state licensing barriers are removed. None of these efforts, including the, those by Amazon, are going to really be able to, to take off and flourish because the practitioners are required to get licenses in all of these states. So is the biggest... Uh obstacle here, state licensing rules or some rules at the federal government or something insurance companies are doing? Is, is Are the states the main thing? It's the states are the main thing. Insurance companies, if this was, was to become very commonplace, then insurance companies would cover it because it's a common way in which medicine is practiced. It would become a part of the whole standard of care of medical practice. But state state licensing laws are standing in the way. What's Arizona doing? I'm very excited about this. Uh, uh, Arizona is poised to become the first state in the union to unilaterally lift those barriers. I had the uh, opportunity to testify a week ago in the Arizona legislature in the Senate Finance Committee about this. Uh, And the governor of Arizona is very much uh, uh, in support of this and is actually pushing it. The the bill would basically allow any healthcare practitioner, we're not just talking about physicians, we're talking about clinical psychologists, uh, occupational therapists, you name it, any any healthcare professional that's licensed by a state and has a license in good standing, no outstanding, you know, disciplinary actions, uh, is will be permitted to offer telehealth services to people living in the state of Arizona. They're, they're going to be required, of course, to uh, if, if to abide by Arizona standard of practice regulations, and that that makes sense. Just like, uh, for example, I I'm licensed to drive by the state of Arizona, but California lets me drive there. But I'm expected to obey California highway rules and laws, so they must obey that. And if there's ever a malpractice suit that arises, it has to take place in Arizona courts. Uh, but but otherwise, that's it. And uh, uh, hopefully. This will start a trend nationwide. I, I know that legislators in Idaho are also interested in doing this. I testified before a joint committee uh, of Idaho legislators a few months back on the same issue that is investigating legislation to this effect. Um, and so that, that'll that break down a barrier. That'll allow Arizonans to be able to access the best health care the country has to offer. 
you don't have to get in a plane and fly to a, you know another part of the country to see some outstanding specialist uh, who who knows a lot about your maybe unique problem. You could do that by telehealth. And it, it seems like this pandemic, if if nothing else, has created the space to allow for a lot of these changes that have been temporary to become uh, permanent. A lot of doctors' offices have been shut down for many, many months. Some physicians might decide, hey, I might be able to go without an office entirely, uh, aside from a few visits. Yes, particularly in the behavioral health field, by the way. A lot of a lot of uh, clinical psychologists, psychiatrists have uh, been con- continuing their practice using telehealth. And uh, that that's a, a particular kind of field that you could conduct an awful lot of what you need to conduct just by, you know, having a conversation where you could see each other. Uh, you don't necessarily have to be physically, you know, sitting a few feet away from each other. So there are certain fields that I think you may see uh, dramatically change in the next couple of years where, you know, telehealth may be the kind of the standard way of conducting, let's say, you know, psychological care, behavioral counseling, that kind of thing. So for states that are inordinately rural, um, Idaho is one of them. Uh, My home state of Kentucky is one of them. Uh, What opportunities does that present? Well, it presents the opportunity for them to get uh, the, basically to take advantage uh, of, uh, of the skill and training in high powered urban centers uh, and allow their rural patients to get access to, to that kind of health care. Uh, presently in, in Arizona is another state that outside of the major cities is extremely rural. People have to sometimes travel several hours uh, by car to, to see their, their physician. Uh, not only that, but um, now uh, because of telehealth, um, they, they may be able, I'm thinking of places like, uh, Mojave County, Arizona, which, which is, uh, closest to Las Vegas, Nevada. There are a lot of people living in these tiny little hamlets in sparsely populated Mojave County who now could get their healthcare through telemedicine from the university medical center in Las Vegas, Nevada, as opposed to having to, to just rely on, on the Phoenix and Tucson metropolitan areas. So the the politics of this seem sort of surprising to me, the, the notion that any state would want to be a first mover here. Uh, you know, for, for Arizonans, it, it allows individuals to consume healthcare services. I mean, albeit somewhat limited. That is, you know, when a, a doctor is checking your lymph nodes or something, you don't necessarily, you can't really do that via a screen, but uh, I could understand if physicians in your state and you're you're one of them would say, "Now hold on a second here. We don't necessarily want to be competing with physicians all across the United States." I would think the same thing. Uh, to my surprise, my pleasant surprise, when I was testifying at the uh, Senate Finance Committee meeting last week, I learned that uh, the Arizona Medical Association is in support of the bill. So is the Arizona Nursing Association, the Arizona Hospital Association. It really surprised me. Uh, then again, you know how sausage is made. So uh, there is there are some features to this bill that I don't like. Uh, among them is uh, our features that require insurance to reimburse healthcare practitioners for telehealth services at the same rate 
as for in-person services. And uh, those were concessions, I think, that were given to get sort of buy-in from the quote-unquote stakeholders. But but the, to my, I, I was surprised. I thought there was going to be resistance. Now, when I testified before the Idaho legislature, the representatives of those organizations were resistant to the idea. So that's I expected to see the same thing in Arizona, but I, it looks like that's not the case. Now, interestingly, that's not the first time I've been surprised by that in Arizona. Uh, after uh, when states began to lift certificate of need laws, because in the mid-1980s, the federal law that encouraged states to do that was repealed, and Arizona uh, lifted its certificate of need laws. Now, most uh, in most states, the hospital association is very much against listing, lifting certificate of need laws because obviously they're entrenched incumbents and and they don't like uh, they like to be able to control who comes in and out of their market. Uh, I assumed that that was the case in Arizona too, but I learned that in fact the Arizona Hospital Association was okay with certificate of need laws being ended in Arizona, to my surprise. So, you know, you you live and learn, and that's a good thing to learn. So, with a big player like Amazon. Uh, jumping in here, potentially squashing prices as Amazon often does. Uh, what's the potential? Uh, it, I think it could help drive down healthcare costs, but more importantly, it could also drive up service. Uh, when physicians know that they're not just competing against their colleagues in their own state, but they're competing with everybody in the country, they're going to need to take the, to, to be careful to make sure that they're patients are very satisfied with the quality of time they got with them. So that that's also going to happen. Now, there's going to be some, uh, you know, other complicating factors. For example, um, if you access telehealth services from a healthcare practitioner that's not in the network of the insurance plan that you purchased, then, you know, it's not going to necessarily be covered by your insurance or at least not as much. But that's fine because a lot of people may make the decision as is the case with, for example, GoodRx and prescription drugs, that it's cheaper actually to go out of pocket and pay directly for the care than to pay for the negotiated price that was worked out with your insurance carrier and, and the provider. So uh, it, it, it's still good. And there are an awful lot of people who uh, want to, you know, they they value direct care and, and they uh, have high deductibles and they, and they make the determination that I'd rather get the the quality of service and expertise from this out of state practitioner using my own dollars than settle for what the insurance company's willing to pay for. And that's fine. Dr. Jeff Singer is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. If you're a teacher or an administrator, apply now for Sphere Summit, teaching civic culture together. Sphere Summit is a full scholarship professional development program for educators of grades 5 through 12. The summit will explore civil, constructive, and respectful discourse in the classroom. Visit cato.org sphere to learn more. 